Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport, it's episode 15, uh, sorry it's series 15 and episode 5, just after 7 o'clock in the morning I'm in Sydney, that's Australian Eastern Daylight Time and thanks very much to everyone here at the Intercontinental at uh, Circular Quay effectively uh, for finding uh, a relatively quiet place to work and of course as an IFG Rewards Club member I get free Wi-Fi. And that's how I'm talking to you. Meanwhile, literally back up in London, Tim Gray is with us. And on the pack programme tonight, Tim, we have what? We have all the usual features. Excellent. Uh, we'll be talking about some motorsport on four wheels, motorsport on two wheels. Uh, we'll be talking to some people who have won recently. We'll be talking to some people who want to win in the future. Uh, mm. And uh, apparently we might be talking about some uh, desserts. It is it is the big story of the week. The Radio Show Limited controversy. Is it jam first or cream first? Uh, there is a poll at Specutainment at the moment, jam first, uh, with about, uh, what, seven, eight, nine hours to go on the poll. Uh, it is jam first by 58%, and that will not please the responsible adult who is very much in the cream first camp. And this splits... This is this splits our household, as it does the country, and uh, it's a it's an answer that we must have. So, entertainment and vote now, vote often, as uh, Declan would always say. You can't say. do that on Twitter, can you? Unless yeah, no, you've got multiple Twitter good. accounts, <clears throat> like you do. And I promise, I promise that we uh, will have, and when the, when the polls end, we will have a result, and we'll bring it to you next week uh, on. Midweek Motorsport. In fact, probably it'll be on Twitter before then, obviously. At Specutainment, of course, if you want to get in touch with us. Um, as Tim said, a particularly packed programme tonight. Just one second. <clears throat> it's early for me. I still have a frog in my throat. There we go. Kermit is gone. Uh, hello to everyone who is tuned in around the world. What a weekend of motorsport we had at Bathurst. We'll be talking about that in the second hour of the programme uh, this evening. Uh, hello to Jonathan Azor, who says, um, is a few hours early, this came in three hours ago, uh, on the East Coast, preventing my listening live, I will though be thinking of you when I finally get to see Ford versus Ferrari in the theatre this evening, to quote RC Racing. Hooray! Uh, looking forward to another packed Wednesday night, walking the dogs again. This is Safe Phil. Phil, thank you very much. Safe Phil was saviour, Phil, uh, last week. And thank you very much, Phil, for letting us have your copy of the programme so that it didn't disappear into the mists of time. 
I hopefully we won't have to call on your services again. Christopher Tipper, no airfares tonight. New Zealand public holiday today. Says I'm still recovering from Bathurstitis. Looking forward to listening to the show live again. Uh, good to know that you are online. Hello to Kevin Poulton. He's in a hotel in High Wickham. Uh, ready to for a packed show and Nick's view on Aston Martin F1. We'll talk about last week as well. Uh, we have got an Aston Martin partner in the second half of the show tonight. Uh, Alexander Orton, no AFAs. Looking forward to what uh, he says I no doubt will be another cracking show. Uh, G&T, followed by uh, Moroccan lamb with noodles before the show. Oh, interesting. Very good, Alexander. Uh, had uh, um, very good lamb yesterday afternoon for a late lunch down at a place on Cronulla Beach, which was fantastic. AFA's for Andy Garrett tonight. He's going to use the podcast on his journey to Marshall, a pre-season training at Sunday on Sunday at Silverstone. Uh, should be fun putting out fires and writing in uh, inverted cars with Storm Chiara on the way, of course. Uh, Oliver Giles, Olivier Gillet, studying while listening to Midweek Motorsport. Good to know you're listening, Oliver. Uh, no airfares for Stephen Lloyd this week. Eight on the bounce. Wow. Uh, Moni Elysium in uh, the Cube 2.0 in the Pacific Northwest, up the left coast. Money, your photographs from the beach around your new place. Absolutely fabulous. And I love the new car as well. Fabulous colour. And Blackmore is right. Andy is absolutely right. I need some orange on that car. It would look fabulous. Uh, right turn lover standing by while sitting on my sofa. How many corners of the global of various contributors chime in? Whelan's returning after a Twitter break. Looking forward to the usual features and a skippy safety creature. Yes, we'll be talking about that, I'm sure, later on. Uh, Jules uh, listening in uh, Corbett Racing uh, has been offered first refusal on what looks to be a very nice 924S uh, frankly scouring the net for a fair price uh, listen a Porsche is worth oh it's a Porsche Le Mans as well it's the special edition 924 if it's in good nick and it's been well looked after you buy a Porsche well it'll look after you forever uh, spec the team at the clock says Chris Coughlin and good to know that you're listening in tonight supposed to be practicing for the iRacing Bathurst 12 hours but I'm reinstalling Windows again hope Jas gets a favourable mention get a Mac no no don't uh, listening live Victor Ellis uh, he says uh, no baller today which means perhaps the Ellis girls will be able to get the disaster known as teenage girls bedroom squared away before supper <laughs> I like your uh, positivity uh, Victor uh, weirdly uh, RS1 not showing but clicked in the space and it's working mm, ok John McCarthy's listening Spooner in Orange apologies for absence still fresh from a week in a Bathurst noise and Marshall training Daniel Summergill listening loud from Saltburn Saltburn on sea would that be fantastic how many test reserve drivers does one team need awful Williams evaluating four drivers for George Russell's replacement as I once said about that team, they have more testers than the perfume counter at Boots the Chemist. Uh, David Faulkner checking in. Good morning. Checking without needing a note from his mum. bit late with the apologies, but I'm uh, listening to the podcast in the office later. Rob Jana in pit lane, listening for the first time in ages. Uh, woke up to the news that Scott McLaughlin is running IndyCar. Didn't say that on Tuesday when we spoke to him. Yeah, that was the... Uh, 
Supercars launched just down the road from us here, which was terribly badly promoted. I actually saw the cars drive past me before I knew it was happening. Uh, slow pass, uh, uh, listening in tonight. Uh, if you're with the responsible adult is listening in, tugs for luck while seeing that. She is everywhere, of course. Uh, and keep your questions coming in. Peter says, I very much regret not buying the 944 Le Mans when I had the chance. It was cheap as well. All right, then, let's crack on. Midweek Motorsports, Series 15, Episode 5. Tim, shuffle your papers. Let's have the top news jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And where are we starting tonight, Tim? Uh, tonight we're going to start with Formula One news, which means we need to bring in our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, John. Good evening, Tim. And hooray! It's Formula One when there's nothing actually happening. Carry on. You say nothing's actually happening, but another week, another signing by Team Awful, Williams. Yes, they've, they've decided to actually sign every single uh, theoretically quite maybe useful uh, young British driver. I'm assuming it's just because it's cheaper to get the drive down to the factory than to fly them in from somewhere else. Um, it's Jack Aitken who's turned up now. He's, he's, he's forsaken, forsaken uh, the, the Renault programme he's been part of for ooh, four or five years, time. including through F3 and uh, first year in F2. And he's now become a Williams. I think yeah, he's the proper reserve driver. I think he's actually ranked above uh, Dan Tictum and obviously um, Roy Nissany because I'm above Roy Nissany to be honest um, you've missed and, Jamie Chadwick and I'm above her as well um, that's not fair no I'm above, I'm above Roy I'm below Jamie um, but again she's another young British driver they've got a few of them but actually remarkably uh, Jack will also get some I think a Friday outing so I'm not quite sure when um, uh, Nicholas Latifi and uh, uh George Russell get to drive the car on Friday, and uh, yeah, he's the official. He is the official reserve driver. I assume that. But does that mean he's actually got the forty super license points? He I does. He, would, he does. Yeah, just from keeping on, keeping on. I suppose he must have got a hatful from from F three. I suppose. Um, so the actual uh, the actual terms for these people. Uh, Jack Aitken yeah, is the reserve driver. Yes, he's the only important one. Keep yeah. going. He he's the one who will be he'll he'll be there all the time, and uh, ready to step in in case of uh, an emergency happening. Yes, Roy Nissany is the test driver. Roy Nissany is the checkbook. His official title is test driver, and that means yeah. he gets to test the car. Yes, but he How won't get every race. How much testing are they allowed? Uh, well, they have the. Oh, I think it's oh, very little in the season test. They're, they're they the have young driver in. test. Yes, and they got the uh, the end of the season test as well. And he's got. Don't forget, he's got two Fridays as well, hasn't he? And he gets some Friday testing. Yes. Yeah. And then. So uh, every Friday they're going to have a different person in. It's no. Gonna no be... After the first few races, John, they'll they'll, they'll kick one. Of the, they'll alternate the drivers out, and they'll they'll lose the Friday first practice session. So three or four right. of them. Uh, Jamie Chadwick and Dan Tictum are simulator drivers. Yeah, mm. Dan so Tictum. They will they will go to uh, Grove and sit in a uh, dark room playing computer games. Yeah, does that mean? Does that mean that that is what they're doing, or are they actually driving a small box van around with uh, 
computer games in the back of it to then <laughs> delivering it to several locations. Uh, they, 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 they're just simulating being drivers. They're kind of living in, in the world of mime. You know, the Marcel Marcel <laughs> school of uh, motor racing. You know, I'm walking against the wind tunnel. You know, <laughs> but um, you know, uh, Marcel Marceau does simulation. That is fantastic. I'm basically so just crouching on the floor, moving yes. their arms and legs together, making in your a, noise in a very tight-fitting leotard with a yeah, white face. Very, very good. Uh, David Falter says our team awful. Williams going to auction off each Friday practice and test sessions just to make money. I'll raffle off the sessions to make some extra cash in each different country. Oh, my giddy aunt. Oh, David. I'm limited by the number of different drivers they can run on Fridays, as all teams are, aren't they? Yeah, there are. There are no changes, isn't it? You can't can't change the actual drivers um, more than X number of times. You can change the main driver once and the second driver three times. It's your choice as to who you class as the main and the second driver. Um, But you can... Um, test drive. I'm not sure. You, I, I didn't know there was a limitation on, on uh, Friday drivers, actually. Um, Tim, I think mm. it's only a limitation on real drivers. I, I thought there was a dri- limitation on Friday drivers so that uh, you didn't have little teams auctioning off every Friday practice session to the highest bidder in each it's, local it's market. It's, I'll be very, please on Twitter if you know that one, because that one slipped me by. There is a limitation on race drivers, I know that. Uh, let's move on. We got some Formula One news pretty right last week, didn't we? When we, we were did. being commended. We'll come on to that in a minute. For being sensible for a moment. Sorry about that. We'll come on to that so a little close. later. Uh, okay. But first, we're going to China. Or rather, we're not no, we're going not. to China. Uh, because in view of the continued spread of the coronavirus and after close consultation with the relevant departments of Hainan Province and Sanya Municipal Government, Formula E, the FIA, the Federation of Automobile and Motorcycle Sports of the People's Republic of China, CAMF, and the regional partner, Enova Holdings, have jointly decided not to race in Sanya on March 21st. Which is also something we said last week, actually. We um, yeah, I mean, it's it a, it's the Sanya event was was always going to go because it's quite close to Wuhan and it wasn't very it wasn't that far away. And as of today, I believe Shanghai, which is obviously the province in which the Grand Prix is in, in the middle of April, they have banned all sporting events and large gatherings. So I would think the chances of the Shanghai Grand Prix happening are now zero. Um, and the only question now remaining is whether the, the proximity of Vietnam to Shanghai might put Vietnam at risk. Though currently Vietnam has very, very few cases. So unless it spreads literally like wildfire, like a virus, um, Vietnam is OK. <laughs> but the Chinese Grand Prix isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's, and, it, it's, and, it's, and it shouldn't happen. It's sensible. FIA and Formula One have not yet uh, said it won't happen, but the Chinese have. So uh, uh, I think we can uh, believe the Chinese in this case. It's a big story yeah. down here, of course, uh, in Australia. And well, that's because there's so many uh, people in Australia with it. Well, uh, and also because so many people had coincided with so many people um, who have uh, Chinese families going back for the Lunar New Year and then coming back. And that's what the, the, the situation is. Most of the school, any schools that had um, people of Chinese extraction, particularly those who'd gone home, are closed for two weeks, and there's a there's a, 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 a quarantine period. Um, they're they're changing pretty much at all 
every day there's a new directive that's coming out about um, where people can fly into uh, into Australia from. Um, and of course, yesterday, the Qantas 747 went that went into Wutan to bring back 300 uh, Australian citizens um, bounced back, and then um, they're all in quarantine on Christmas Island for at least two weeks. Um, so it's it's been taken very serious, and so should it be because um, the uh, infectious disease number of this, how quickly it can spread, is quite high. If it's if it's below one. That means it's going to die out pretty quickly. But this, depending on who you believe, is anything between um, 2.9 and 4.9. And that means that it is still, this is a, uh, a virus that can still spread. Uh, and the cases in China are doubling every three days at the moment. So we have got to take this seriously in motorsport. And this is absolutely the right thing to do. And to be honest, Nick, I think the FIA have got to make a sensible decision and make that decision far enough out as well. There's no, there's no point. I mean, anybody who's travelling to see the F1 Grand Prix, um, looking at the uh, the UK government, the Foreign Office website, is saying don't travel to China. So yeah. it's not going to happen, is it? It needs, and that's no, a decision I, I, that needs to be made right now. My guess is it'll be called off this week. I think I don't. I think I think it'll be called off um, tomorrow or Friday. Um, Realistically, yeah, there's, there's no point drifting it on for for any reasons when it's obvious the uh, as you say the infections, the virus numbers are still going up. The Chinese have closed Shanghai down. These things take longer than eight weeks to work their way out of the system, regardless yeah. of the fact that we actually have got, there's no way of actually booking anything. Actually, on the same on the same point, I noticed that do you see that Mark Wing Ha, who's driving for Neo in the uh, Formula E, has arrived in Chile. He's arrived. He's arrived to. Mexico. He's arrived two weeks early, uh, two and a half weeks early, so he can self-quarantine. He's he, him okay. and his, his his team from China. He's, 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 he feels absolutely fine. He says but he doesn't want anyone anyone making any accusations. So he's actually arrived two weeks, two and a bit weeks early just to do it himself. So um, that's very very sensible. Very very sensible. Do we think if uh, are there going to be replacement events for either the Formula E or Formula One, or is that impossible nowadays? Formula E, they're talking about moving it to a different date later in the season. Um, right. back in Sanyar if uh, if uh, it's um, viable to hold an event there in the future uh, they won't put in a replacement event though Grand Prix there's, there's, there's the calendar's too too full there's no room for a replacement Grand Prix it'll just be, it'll just be postponed or it'll be cancelled that'll be it um, and as, as Tim says there's more of a chance because of the big spaces within the uh, Formula E calendar, there are chances to get another event in there, mm. or if the as hopefully the the outbreak subsides and they can do it in August or September, there is a possibility. So yeah, they're, they're, it's much more open within Formula E, but obviously it's definitely not going to be a replacement or a rescheduling for this year for the Grand Prix. It's just too tight a schedule. Declan Brennan suggested that they just use the simulator drivers uh, for the uh, <laughs> Chinese Grand Prix. Uh, could do that all on the simulator. Uh, he, he did also say Formula One should be okay if they've banned all sporting events. Oh, meow! Saucer milk for Declan. Going back to uh, simulators. Yes. Uh, world's fastest gamer was in Miami at the weekend, and who do you think won that? I well, I mean, obviously, we're all expecting some some young 
some young man or young woman who who's very pale from having seen no sunlight for the last four years yes. to win it. But actually, it was a it was a quite portly, very tanned young old man who won it uh, in in the shape of uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, who showed those whippersnappers he can do it no in pretend as well as real. Yep, he won the race, beating my mate Rudy Van Buren as well. So uh, yep, he, he took it and he won it. Um, anyway, I only saw the minute and a half highlights and it's and he and he uh I think that's they were driving... step, isn't it he lives down yeah. there he does live in miami yeah. um yeah what did you describe him as old montoya yes just yes. now he's, he's old only two months my... older than me so he's old he's not mm, old compared to three months job, older than me he's still old was he 44 he's 44 yeah mm. uh among the other people taking part uh were sebastian montoya Mm-hmm. Who's about to do F four, isn't he? Uh, which we'll talk about in, in a bit, moment. Uh, Eduardo okay. Barrichello. Oh, uh, I've met him when he was a little teeny weeny. Yes, he's uh, he's now doing. I think he's doing Formula Three now. Eduardo, uh, Pietro, and Enzo Fittipaldi. They're always around. Uh, Ed Jones, James Davison, and Adrian Fernandez. Mm. Super. Shall we move on? Uh, Rudy Van Buren also there, as you mentioned, Nick. Uh, so let's move on to uh, Sebastian Montoya, because uh, he's going to do Formula 4 this year, Nick. Yes, that, and that, Sebastian Montoya to do Formula 4, is the absolute summation of what I know about this story. So you'll have to tell me what team it is in the junior single-seater way of your way you do love to do. Is it, is it full Formula 4? I thought, is it just Italian Formula 4, isn't it? Yes, it is, Formula 4 is always a national category. Yeah, so it's Italian Formula 4. I, I, I have no clue how I've picked that up, to be honest. But they <laughs> maybe, stuck maybe in my mind. in the news today. Um, I probably saw it in a tweet somewhere. I've been more tweet-based um, in, in the last couple of days. But in all fairness... <clears throat> excuse me. In all fairness, it's actually you quite... You sound like you've got in, a virus, John. No, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I have. I've got bathurstitis. That's what I've got. Um... The, uh, in all fairness, this is an important step on his career path, and it, it's it'll, we'll see what he's got. I think obviously not being able to beat his dad on a computer game is uh, going to spur him on to greater heights um, this season because that's well, got to be, pretty, that's I mean, how, be the worst ever. The worst I'm really ever. impressed by that because James was beating me at computer games at eleven. More importantly, he used to beat me at football. He didn't know anything about football. He didn't follow football, and I was working out my all the tactics and the offside. Nick, he just just Nick, knew the buttons to press. Nick, Nick, yeah. you and I, you you follow Gillingham and I follow Sunderland. Yeah. We could possibly say that neither of us know anything about football either. I know about suffering. It's just muscle memory. It's just mu- muscle memory for us. Anyway, let's move on. Other stories. It's uh, we... it's Nick versus uh, Johnny next Tuesday, isn't it? It is. It's a Blackpool match, is it? Ah. Mm. Uh, so, Premier Sh- Power Team for Sebastian Montoya. Uh, what about David Schumacher? That's um, Ralph's son. Yes. Trying to work out which one's which. Um, I'm... Obviously, his, his son, he had with Cora, who has done a number of Creventic events. Uh, his ex-wife. And um, I didn't don't know. Is, do, is he? Do you... Didn't she do some national German racing? Did she do ADAC uh, GT or something like that? Oh, as well? sure she, did, yeah. she certainly did yeah. some single manufacturer racing. So both sides of uh, of his. Well, certainly, certainly David, we've got some 
talent from his mother. Uh, he is going to be Stop doing it. Formula 3. Is he? Is it really uh, well, a real, real Formula 3? <laughs> I'm saying no. I, I, oh. I don't think there is any real Formula 3 anymore. And maybe that's a good thing, because Formula 3 um, was terrible um, in that there was uh, too much grip for the amount of power you had. Uh, but he's going to be doing it with uh, the Shrews team uh, alongside a Brazilian driver called Igor Fraga and uh, a young Finnish driver called Nico Kari. Any any relation to Felipe Fraga? I do not know that. I guess he's yes. But I do know that Igor Fraga came from eSports. Mm. Do you know what? I genuinely thought you were going to say he came from Eastbourne. Eastbourne. <laughs> God's waiting room is produced a driver. Um, Brazilian Eastbourne. Via Brazil. It was just the first place that he got to uh, when he landed from Sao Paulo. It's fantastic. Uh, All right, shall we move on a little bit? Because we've got lots to fit in tonight. Um, uh, yes, let's talk about uh, how we were right last week. Yes, I do like yes, that. Nick, as ever, and listen, Nick, I, I don't say this to you enough, but you are exceptionally well connected in the Formula One world. And I know you never reveal your sources because people tell you things and they're obviously inside teams, but you were bang on the money. We went through, if you didn't listen to last week's show, remember it went out on Wednesday, long before everybody else got hold of the story on Thursday or Friday. Um, uh, even with me being in the future, we were still ahead of everybody else. Maybe that was how we did it. Um, and this was all down to Mercedes and Aston Martin and Aston Martin Racing Point and Lawrence Stroll. And in fact, actually, um, I'll, part of one of our interviews in the second half of tonight's programme, which was a pre-record from, from Bathurst, we, we bring that up with another Aston Martin partner. So that's worth listening to. We'll be talking to Dr... Uh, and he is a doctor, he's a medical doctor, Dr. Florian Kamelke, um, the man at the head of our motorsport. We'll be talking to him about how that affects their uh, relationship with Aston Martin. It's worth a listen. Um, so, Tim, we, we got it got it right, and everybody else seemed to be very shocked, shocked about it, which I was a bit, I thought, I felt a bit odd about. Uh, well, there were some people who were saying the same things as us. Mm. Not many. I think what, the, the, the interesting thing, sorry, just to, 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 to something, is that obviously the investment means um, there will be no change to the nomenclature on the, the racing point this year, but they will start 2021 with the new design and the new new, new rules um, as Aston Martin. Aston Martin will disappear from the naming sponsorship of Red Bull. So that will be a, now just be a Red Bull Honda rather than Aston Martin Red Bull Honda, which is a bit, a bit strange. Um, no word how that will affect Valkyrie or even if it will affect Valkyrie because that's Red Bull Technologies and that partnership really isn't really counterproductive, isn't uh, affected really by the, uh, the racing point purchase. So, um, yeah, so the Red Bull Technologies and nothing until the Valkyries will still be produced. And the big question really is whether it has absolutely any influence at all on Ipecar, and again, my doubt is, I would say no, and, 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 a, and a, a slew of investment is always good news for people who are trying to spend money going motorsport, motor racing. Worth, li- worth listening in the second hour to the Florian Camelger interview, sheds a bit of light on that, to be honest. Uh, we've got, got quite a bit of content in the second hour from interviews that I picked up uh, at Bathurst, including the three Bentley drivers just after the end of the race, which was joyous. It really 
was uh, Midweek Motorsports Series 15, Episode 5, coming up to the first half hour already completed. I'm in a very comfortable business lounge overlooking the Sydney Harbour. Nick is in the middle of the Carbon Fibre Triangle, and Tim is up in London. Where would you like to take us next, Tim? I'd love to take us to the Nürburgring. Oh, um, yeah. And we well, actually don't I'm lost have... already, then. <laughs> <laughs> You start off by turning right, then you go left, then you go right again. Uh, We don't have time to do the story properly this week, so I'm just going to do it uh, very briefly. Um, But Ingolf Doibel, who is the former finance minister of the Rhineland Palatinate, has been imprisoned for 27 months and lost his civil service pension. That's rough, isn't it? I mean, right, it's like a, a bit of a double whammy, that... Because, all right, he's lost his liberty, um, but he loses his civil service pension as well. That, that is, that's really... He, he's been convicted of... Um, Fraud. False accounting. Yes, in a, in a public office, which is, which is why he's lost all of his, um, his pension and stuff like that. Uh, it, it goes back a few years. Are you going to dig into that and we'll have a bit of Crown Court music for that next week, shall no, we? It goes back 11 years. I know. I know. I read about that. Massive does, it affect, day one. does it does it affect um, materially or even in the background anything in terms of the racing side of things? I would suggest not. This is not, just just not as, now, no. Right, this is just just as catching up with them. All right, fair enough. Yes, this is uh, Germany's uh, quite deliberately slow uh, court system. They had to wait for another court case to finish before uh, this one could begin. I believe. Okay. I'm just being told this is breaking news. Additional uh, news coming in on the scontroversy. Uh, which jam? Not yet. We'll do this with when Declan Brennan joins us shortly. Okay. No. I, I, there's only one. It has to be red jam. It can't be anything else. And raspberry, I think. But never mind. Let's move on. Don't forget to vote on that. Still 58-42 in the favour of jam first. Who Never else has ever. been accused of bribery? Um, Tony Fernandez. Tony Fernandez. And why should oh, we yes. remember Tony Fernandez? Um, because he was part of the Air Asia Virgin Who's Going to Wear a Hostess's Outfit battle in 2010 or 2011 with Richard Branson. Is that the only thing ever? Uh, what, what was the uh, Formula One connection? He used to run and own the Caterham um, racing team, who, who did spend a small time as Lotus before they changed their name. Yes. Um, when, and when they there ran were two Lotuses. Low tie, yes. Um, of which yes. Lotus, if you remember. No, that is a very good point. Or, and, although uh, he, he also had a... No, he didn't. There was a GP2 team called Lotus, which also wasn't Lotus, um, but wasn't related to... Lotus in Formula One. <laughs> a Lotus, a Lotus biscuits related to Lotus, though. Um, no, but I do have some in my kitchen. They become a big thing recently. You can get Lotus biscuits out of everything. Um, going back to the story, though. Um, uh, is, can, we is, De- can we bring Dex in on this as well, please? Because I, I think um, that this, I am certainly someone who likes to say proprietary. Um, and uh, in business and in sport. But this is an odd one, Nick, isn't it, in terms of, of what has been described as, as bribery and fraud. This is all about... What's that word to use nowadays? Um, compliance. This is compliance yeah. gone mad, isn't it? 
Well, the bare bones is that obviously Tony Fernandez made a lot of his money out of the airline business and Air Asia. He ran a, um, a Formula One team who had a chunk of sponsorship from Airbus and their parent company EADS, which is the European. Anyway, it, it, so Airbus, the name Airbus was on the rear wing of the car. So Airbus were That's sponsoring Caterham. And what they are saying is that in addition to the sponsorship, there was also some um, brown envelope cash. But the key point about this was the reason they were sponsored, the reason there was extra money. Envelope? Yes, 55 million pounds. Absolutely. I use brown envelopes frequently when I'm uh, trying to smuggle money around. Uh, But the thing is that they were is that they have said that that, that because of the fact they had this sponsorship and this sweetener, let's use the correct word sweetener. um, They meant that his airline only bought Airbus planes and that was anti-competitive so they're saying that the sponsorship by airbus encouraged someone to buy an airbus which to me appears to be the definition of sponsorship um because if you sponsor a car and then someone buy uh, saying airbus you're not wanting them to buy boeings no right stop stop i i'm going to go back a bit and i realize we're in different times now and that specter of compliance hangs over all of this but let's let's take the listener back to Nigel Mansell in IndyCar and one of the major sponsors on the side of his car was a well-known American supermarket and that well-known American supermarket um, ostensibly was the title sponsor of the car and then at various points in the season, various consumer brands would pop up on the car and it was, I was going to say it was common. It wasn't a secret. It was, you know, um, why don't you um, sponsor our indie car with Nigel Manson, who's doing rather well this year, and he's rookie year. And, um, oh, yes, of course you can have the end of aisle that you want for Labor Day weekend. And, of course, you can have that big promotion uh, in the week leading up to Thanksgiving, uh, uh, Mr. Gillette or Mr. Duracell, wasn't it, or somebody uh, like that. Mm. That's business. Is that not just business? Uh, Declan Brennan joins us from the States. Uh, Listen, all right, money in envelopes, backhanders and all that sort of stuff, cannot condone that. But surely business to business is part of what makes motorsport sponsorship and, in fact, any kind of, of dealings uh, in or out of, of motorsport. That, that's the kind of thing that works, whether it's pouring rights at a stadium or it's somebody using your soccer boots or your kit or, or whatever. This is, this is mildly, um, mildly sort of scary in terms of how do you do deals in the future. Evening, Dex, by the way. Uh, good evening. Good evening to everybody. And, uh, and Happy New Year, Dex. Happy New Year to you as well, and Happy New Year to everybody, uh, no matter, and Happy Chinese New Year to people from China, particularly mm-hmm. the ones that are still alive. And now, Ethiopian uh, so, New Year as well. Happy Ethiopian New Year. Exactly. So, uh, yes. Uh, the, so, to me, when I read the AP piece, uh, and maybe, Nick, I missed the part with the brown envelopes, I genuinely read that piece and thought to myself, okay, that is structured like uh, the types of deals on a lower level that everybody in the paddock I work in is doing all the time. So what, what I, I'm not sure how, uh, what the impropriety is 
in so far as yes, it was a, the contract would have been so enormous because it was this was for his full fleet, correct? This was for a correct. giant fleet of of aircraft. So the the sponsorship that was being paid in inverted commas, whatever. I, I, I'm not going to dispute how how it was or uh, the way it was, the deal was done, but they certainly would have been getting. Uh, value for that in terms of the exposure on the car, activation at the races, etc. So I, so I don't fully grasp how that can be seen as fraudulent when it's the sort of thing that literally in motorsport happens up and down the paddocks of, in fact, pretty much every paddock in sports car and GT racing in the world relies yeah. on deals like that. Well, Dex, I mentioned the, the target model, which that was what I was alluding yes. to. But we've seen Breitling on the side of Bentleys, and they're both in prototypes and GTs. They're, they're a supplier. Um, look, even right now uh, at some of the... I mean, trade. how do trade sponsors work in that case then? What do you do with your tyre manufacturers if you're in an open tyre formula? What do you do with your oil and lubricants manufacturers? Uh, for example, it's it's uh, end caps, for example, for to Huggies or to Tums or in, in Target's case. Or, so it, that's a little... There's, that's maybe uh, easier to swallow because it, it, it maybe makes a little bit more sense. But, but even... Even if the other deal is a little bit more nebulous, or it still doesn't feel. I don't fully grasp how it's fraud, that, and that, honestly, that's that would be the bit that concerns me as a as person actively looking to do business to business deals in the in the paddock. Nick, Nick, Nick Damon, Nick Damon, you you in your real job, you are um, in a business to business environment, and I've I've thrown that word out of compliance. I, I mean, we've talked about some pretty lofty subjects. Uh, recently, um, and 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 this, uh, the reason I'm giving this time is because I do think this is important. Um, the ability, or indeed inability, now for consumer brands or business brands to do things like take people to sporting events because of that word compliance. Really, um, it, it's it's putting pressure on hospitality sales it's putting pressure on sponsorships not just in motorsport but in tennis soccer and everything else as well yeah i mean it's, it there is this this issue you know i, I don't know about you but i i i have to do a compliance course every every uh, every year and you know, have to work out that why why derek shouldn't be paying you know, some african king 10 million pounds to make a make a make a deal which is generally the example they give which is ridiculous because obviously most of it is much more low level there are maximum amounts that most people can accept which is nowadays has gone down to about a pen so it's actually very hard to invite people unless those people are <laughs> individual business owners so you know it's it, it, yeah we, we we in my previous job i was working for epson we obviously had a number of um f1 tickets Getting me, I must admit, and it's very hard to get. Yeah, people the only people who could really take them up were the people who were part of the distribution network who were, who were business owners because any customers it would be seen as a as a um, as an inducement. Now, this is the whole point. This is sponsorship, and surely, as you say, sponsorship works that way. I think the reason I said about I think brand envelopes is protect is wrong what it's actually saying is that they were paid 50 million and they could have been another 55 million, but that was paid directly to the directors and not paid um, to the team as such, even though it was then passed right. on to the team. Right. So okay. well, it seems okay. like well, let, well, let's, let, we're looking at, I think, the broader. I'm, I don't yeah. really want to comment on no, this no, particular. So I think what it does do is brings up the, the broader question of compliance. Mm. Declan, it is your job to go out and do these deals that 
would put somebody's name on the side of the car, that would get the car to the races, that potentially needs activation with things like uh, trackside hospitality or bringing a race track to a a, sta- a, a race car to a staff do, or taking staff somewhere, or taking a CEO somewhere. Have you come up ac- ac- across this where people said, I really like the idea, but unfortunately, that's compliance would have me legs if I try to do that. Yeah, yeah, I had a, I had a, a protracted and a somewhat distant, distant uh, relationship, uh, sales relationship with a uh, a brand, a Fortune 5, massive a Fortune 500 company, uh, probably a Fortune 100, possibly Fortune 50 company, very, very big US company. And, and through some our contacts, we, we were uh, given direct contact with the with their CEO, who was a big racing fan. And we were we were working long term on a deal to bring him in as a partner of ours. To, he was already involved in motorsport to bring him into our side, and uh, it and it involved uh, bringing him as a guest of a team to F1. And as part of that deal, we were going to supply him with a uh, road car for the weekend from that manufacturer, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, that it got nixed. It couldn't. He couldn't do it. He couldn't. He couldn't accept the car. He, uh, it, you know, it it it, it just looked it, from his perspective. It was probably from from a from a propriety or impropriety standpoint, and from from a legal standpoint, he couldn't do it. And and that's that's the tip of the iceberg. It's there are uh, generally motorsport itself and the way it operates and the nature of it means that it there are so many companies that you can't even get past the fact that you're in motorsport because of mm-hmm. it there it becomes a minefield uh, in so many different ways of compliance and propriety and it's, it's really interesting um david faulkner who's just tweeted at speculatement who's here in australia mm-hmm. says um i have a very high knowledge and understanding of that issue here in oz i could i could not accept uh, a bottle of wine that cost 50 Aussie dollars and I would still have to report it if a supplier offered to me it, to me as a gift and I work for quite a big company um well wow, okay um and 50 Australian dollars is worth about seven pence well it's um yeah it's just over 25 quid isn't it 27 28 quid uh, but UK. This, John this the Fascinating thing to me is that that the entities are different here. Like the the uh, uh, Fernandez race team, yes, it was his, but it's a different entity, and mm. it's not like the team. It's not like there was no value. Like it's not like uh, uh, they they weren't getting their deliverables as part of it. it wasn't like right. he was taking the money and doing it and not even putting their name on the car. It's like it. I find no. I I honestly read that in with in slight dismay at that. Uh, and I you know, does, Dex, does all this mean that? that when you are looking to right so you still have to find sponsors for a for a race team or a tennis tournament or you know a soccer match or, or whatever it is whatever you try or a, a, an arts project or a theater group or whatever let, let, let's let's not tie it down to motorsport because we're not saying war is us in motorsport here this is part of a bigger conversation does that mean that you're going to have to start looking for different ways to give value because um you can't one of the things that that always is attractive is oh you can bring guests you can do some business to business work um in in a suite or in a special box at the ballet or whatever that you want to do so not only can you not offer that to your potential sponsor but your potential sponsor can't offer that because of uh, potential compliance issues to their business um prospects that they want to entertain so the whole thing falls down john 
you're you might may I'm sure you'll you'll believe this, but a lot of our our listeners may not under even comprehend that this is this is the case. But increasingly, uh, I'm involved in deals that have literally nothing to do with the race team. That yeah, are, exactly. are, are the the race team is literally using a network of contacts that it has built up, along with other people's networks of contacts to match make with people and get them together to create business opportunities that generate additional net uh, uh, effectively. Uh, and this is how, particularly in GT racing and particularly in sports cars, you have well-connected uh, team owners uh, and and gentlemen drivers, et cetera, et cetera, who can potentially, through their contacts, m- bring people together, create business, mm-hmm. generate revenue that doesn't even put a brand on the car, that doesn't yeah. even have a- any actual concrete, activation requirement within uh, the paddock at all it's 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 really odd it's really odd as somebody who spend my that's what i spend my life doing and and creating opportunities for people and but there are literally there are times where you could do a deal that has no bearing on what the car right. looks like or or it, it's it is it is a strange time to be to be working in in an air De- level of motorsports how far does it go dex how far does it go and and tim you work in television as well are we going to get to a stage where television broadcasters um, aren't allowed to buy um, anything that is advertised on on their on their channel because what's the difference between putting Migan's more Migan's pies on the side of a car and then only supplying Migan's pies to um, your race team and uh, Migan's pies advertising on XYZ TV channel I mean I, I, does this mean Dex marketing is dead no, uh, it it doesn't. But it does mean it does mean that you you're working you you marketing from a team perspective and the commercial side of of racing outside of the very very top echelon outside of probably NASCAR's top series F1, DTM, and and V8s. Uh, I think everything else is is. The, the model has changed completely, and it's not about marketing. It's not that marketing is dead. It's just not about traditional customer face marketing anymore. It's just mm-hmm. about driving business. Mm. Tim Greer, um, I want to go thoughts? back to something Declan said just now about the gentleman drivers in uh, in sports cars. Quite often, you have deals where gentleman driver obviously is paying for the whole cost of uh, the the team and the uh, professional driver who races alongside mm-hmm. him. And one of the things will be uh, gentleman driver's son has just started karting, and uh, would professional racing driver coach him? Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point. Uh, anyway, good we're going to move away from this, because we are running out of That's time. That's a fascinating point. Uh, yes, before fascinating we, point. before we leave marketing completely, I just want to say uh, <laughs> 100... <laughs> 102 million uh, Americans watched the superb owl on uh, TV on Saturday night, on Sunday night. And what uh, a superb owl it was, too. Uh, which means that 225 million didn't, and apparently that's because they were disappointed that it wasn't actually in Miami. Shay <laughs> yes. Adam, uh, not uh, able to respond this week. Hello. Um, let's let's, let's move wheels. on to bikes. Uh, yes, and totally. we want to talk about uh, Signor Yanone, who uh, had his uh, doping uh, case hearing today. But uh, before that, uh, had to take his girlfriend out to dinner for her birthday last night. And where did they go, Declan? 
Yeah, they went to uh, off my face night at Club Drugs, and uh, I'm only, I'm only, I'm only, I'm only slightly, slightly uh, off with the detail there. Not, uh, it's that's pretty close to the actual truth. I thought they went. I thought they went to why is this meat giving me such big muscles night? <laughs> they went to a uh, popular uh, restaurant and pizzeria and bar called the Doping Club. Brilliant. Oh, no, they did not. Andre- yes, they did. Andrea, 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 God help they your son. They did not. They did not. Oh, uh, oh my God. That the, is just extra. Talking it, about marketing and PR, his representative is going to want to thump him with a baseball bat. Yes, the, the, problem, is, the problem is he's his own representative. He has a management company. Oh anyway, we'll get back to that in a minute. The, the uh, Doping Club has some house rules. Uh, the first one of which is, <laughs> do not bring anyone you would not leave alone in your own house. <laughs> Don't bring anyone you wouldn't leave, leave you alone would. in your own house. Well, I'd leave my girlfriend alone in my own house. But yes. that, means you can't, that means you couldn't bring any of your children. You're not allowed to leave them alone in your house. You wouldn't want to take your children no. to a cocktail bar in Milan or Barcelona. Or, or, if, you, or if you had an incontinent pet. Yes, that's true. <laughs> or an incontinent yes. parent. Yeah. <laughs> or any part of the family. Other incontinent uh, family members are available, obviously. Or a, a, budgie, a budgie with really good locksmith skills. So you have got Stop a it. massively <laughs> aggressive cockatoo. The, the yeah. second rule is good things, come to, good things come to those who wait. Please be patient. And that brings me on to the TripAdvisor uh, reviews for the Doping Club. Oh, no. Um, oh, yes. Uh, the first one of which was, we were here for one and a half hour. We ordered a bottle of wine and we did not even have some chips and olives. We waited for our food for 45 minutes and when we asked about it, our waitress was very rude and unprofessional with her answer. Yeah, because she was stoned off her face. <laughs> like, it's a, it is a theme restaurant. She just ate before. Can you believe that we have got from a really sensible... Discussion um, of sports marketing to reading TripAdvisor reviews of a CD cocktail bar. Uh, Club Drogas. Terrible experience, pricey cocktails, horrible service, and cold. Despite the atmosphere, uh, we ordered a round of cocktails at the table, never arrived. After 40 minutes, we decided to leave and were told to wait to speak to a waiter. Yeah, Andrea Noni's review. Andrea Noni's review was really disappointed. I ordered some fake urine for the test and it never arrived. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the final of the house a, rules a with good locksmith skills yeah. and a very <laughs> aggressive cockatoo uh, the final of the house rules is uh, all of the decor and furniture you see belongs to the hotel if you like something remember that 95% of the stuff around you is on sale, even the staff God. <laughs> uh, oh, that I'm sounds exactly that. like the sort of place Andrea and Noni would what, go so what you're basically saying is, is the reason the waiter and the waitress weren't actually doing any serving is because they were for sale. They'd been sold. Ser- well, they'd been sold. Yeah. Serving. They'd been bought in bulk by so, um, yeah. by Team Awful yeah. Williams uh, as yeah. test drivers. Mm. I ordered um, the monkfish goujons. Uh, sorry, uh, your waiter's uh, been sold. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got some really bad news. We've also sold your jacket and your yeah. wife's shoes. <laughs> and your wife. And your wife, yes, exactly. We've sold your wife and, as well. And we, but unfortunately, we can't shift the aggressive cockatoo. No one wants him. So oh, let's let's that. let's just pivot slightly to board. Andre don't and Odie. No, I want to know about the valet parking. No, please don't. <laughs> They've sold no. it. The valet's gone. 
<laughs> and you never see her car again. So she can't. Goes... <laughs> That's on Uber let's, in Romania now. Let's drop this back to, uh, uh, yeah. uh, to Iannone and any situation. What, what happened in the uh, hearing today, Dex? Well, I don't know the exact detail in terms of the blow-by-blow, minute-by-minute, but I'd like to think, because with the chaotic nature of Andrea None full stop is that sometime during the middle of the hearing, he went, ha ha, but I have this and pulled out from his trousers, a hair. Uh, I'll leave the rest up to you and say, this oh, no. hair proves that I have not failed my dope test. This proves that I've been clean for at least 18 months due to its length, etc. Uh, and, no way. and, and yes. And he, you produced evidence that said I have a hair follicle that proves well, that counter uh, contradicts the evidence from the WADA test at the end of last year in Malaysia when he failed due to a presence of uh, exogenous anabolic androgenic steroid, otherwise known as drostanolone. Uh, Which he so he got from meat. He, yes, and, and uh, he hair he got from, I don't know, his brother or, uh, or his, his wife. But uh, it, so his... Basically, his he had been at that point waiting for the B sample. The B sample had recently been uh, uh, also uh, produced a positive result, which meant he was banned uh, while uh, awaiting a hearing. Uh, 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 what, what would you uh, a, an appeal? But mm. what they've done now is basically because he's introduced this evidence, they have halted the ban. Well, this evidence is is considered, but everything I've read, uh, no, he's still term, banned. He's still yeah. banned. Oh, is he still banned? Okay, fair he's enough. Still banned. He's, 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 he's not banned. He's suspended. Suspended. Yeah, so he can't ride, and it's going to take ten days. Ten days at least to come to a conclusion. Yeah. Uh, even if he's, from what I understand, it, even if he is found to have done it accidentally, he'll still get a three-month ban. Yes. Um, mm. Uh, but it's then one, two or four years. The really bad news is I've just had information from my special contacts and he got the hair from Keith Richards. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. Well, I will um, say, so... I, I, will, I do know, John, before you make your point, that uh, no, uh, okay. uh, from what I understand, hair samples cannot and should not ever overrule urine. Urine samples are are the, the, the benchmark uh, and mm. hair samples shouldn't overrule that. So I think he's probably in trouble here. Listen, whichever way you look at it here, in terms of him getting a ban, I think they've got him by the short and curlies, don't you? Oh, hey! So, so let's just talk about, let's just talk about the decision-making process beside this man. He's, or in he's his a case, nutcase. the long and curly. Yeah, he, he's a nutcase. And, and uh, when you just think about him and everything he's done over the years, running into his teammate in Argentina in 2016, you know, uh, for Achicati and just generally being a lunatic... Uh, he he has a management company, and who did he sign uh, to his management company last year, Nick? Was it Satan? Uh, one <laughs> only one step above or below, depending <laughs> on who you who uh, who you'd believe. Rom- Romano Fanati. Ah, oh, of course it was. He signed Fanati to his grab- for those of you who don't know, the man who tried to grab the handlebar of a, of a competitor as he was riding past, past he him. He pulled the brake of hour. a competitor yep. riding past him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, that, that probably tells you everything you need to know about Andrea Noni, that he's, he's a bit mental and his, his, his stable of, uh, of riders includes other people more mental than him. Well, you know, it's one way of, one way of seeming sane, isn't it? If you're only, if you're only <laughs> hanging around with people. 
<laughs> so for the, ultimately, that, that means that if Bradley Smith just has to sit on his hands, not literally because obviously he's testing at the moment, but... Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's good. Um, yeah, uh, he's Bradley Smith is 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 uh, almost certainly going to get the uh, the aprioroid. That that has to be the case. You one would think. Uh, David Faulkner says perception is everything. When you're on the hook, Andreas uh, Iannone has certainly nailed his coffin shut and his chances for any further sporting career just by his behaviour. Never uh, any never mind anything else. And as Tim has just said, uh, clearly Inoni's management company has Dan Tictum and Santino Ferrucci uh, on there <laughs> as targets on their, their list. We've got time for, I think, one more story before the halftime break. Tim, what do you have? Any more? Say, any could, more well, should we talk about the testing? Because uh, I believe yeah, there has been some testing, Nick. It's been shakedown testing. So it's the testing before the testing. Uh, where the main um, team riders aren't allowed to take part. But if you're from a claiming team, as they call them now, or a rookie, or a recently retired multiple world champion, um, you mm-hmm. can run. So it, you kind of then think, oh, hang on, this, this now explains why Yamaha were quite so keen to sign up um, Jorge Lorenzo. Because Jorge Lorenzo was allowed to run in this, this shakedown test um, with all his experience uh and his knowledge of, of how bikes are and uh, they got him out there so if you actually look at the the timings there are one two three four five six different uh ktm riders who ran over mm-hmm. the three days at sipang um yamaha have got three three riders called yamaha test one yamaha test two and yamaha test three the famous test triplets um mm-hmm. who i believe in austria created, no they, they were created uh in test tubes in the uh the yamaha ah, facility um, but it was it was a KTM from a from a Aprilia. The Aprilia of Alec Espargaro was second. His brother Paul Espargaro in the KTM was was top. Um, but obviously it's a, it's a shakedown test, so it was very much about reliability and testing the, the the function of the new parts of the bike. And they get to do a real test. Is it next week, Dex? No, it's tomorrow. Yeah. Thursday, Thursday, Friday, oh, Saturday. Right. Yeah. So here's the Dex, thing for quick, me, Dex. A quick thought because we're running out of time. Quick thought yeah. about. Lorenzo and the, and the test rider, because that broke just after the show last week. Well, very simply, Although we uh, trailed uh, it. almost certainly he's going to do some uh, some uh, wildcard rides. Uh, to me, it's so bizarre. Looking at his name in this list, it's like uh, when you see a really big band from the 80s or 90s who are now playing in reduced <laughs> circumstances. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a live from, yeah, Chortles Club, uh, uh, you know, uh, Rickmansworth, it's uh, you two. You know, uh, it's. <laughs> it'll only be part of you two. It'll just yes. be the drummer and a couple of his mates they've got together, and he's got the rights well, to like, use yeah, it. You it's, know. Like, it's like Mike Love, who's currently pretending to be the Beach Boys, which, uh, which yes. is. which is, And this is just seeing. So seeing Lorenzo in this list is is weirdly unsettling, but he, he he's embraced it. He really wants to do it, and it's probably all he can manage right now, but also. This gives him time, seat time, time, obviously some potentially some race time, time to recover. And Nick, what would be the bet that he's back full time on a bike next year? No, no, it'd be quite interesting if you had the, uh, the Yamaha satellite team being uh, Rossi and Lorenzo, wouldn't it? Kind of an yes. old man satellite. Oh, quite good yes. that, really. <laughs> well, Ducati did something similar with Casey Stoner when he first stepped out of the limelight, didn't no, he? Okay. Casey never came back. Casey was asked many times. He did do test yeah. riding, absolutely. But he never came yeah, back and ran in a... Yeah. Yeah. It didn't it run in a race. He did a lot yeah, of test riding, actually. 
if it was Lorenzo and uh, Rossi in a satellite team, it definitely wouldn't be a communication satellite. That's for sure. Hey! <laughs> oh, very good. Declan gets the last word on that. Well, we've run the gamut there, guys. Well, before, we, I, I of... just want the last word here, actually. All right. No, he can't. Because I believe that uh, Big Country uh, were performing in Stockton on Tees at the weekend. Well, and that, as we so all there, know, there you go. as we all know, if it's happening, it's happening in Stockton <laughs> upon Tees. Do you like to hear some of my experimental avant-garde poetry? No? Okay then. It's Midweek Motorsport and still to come. We really ran the gamut in hour one. Uh, if you're just joining us, don't forget you can pick up the whole show on the archive of your dash show.uk. A Bathurst heavy second hour in terms of content. Uh, we've got some interviews with the Bathurst winners, the Bentley boys. Uh, that's coming up here. We'll also be talking to the man at the head of our motorsport, Dr. Florian Kamelga, about uh, what uh, the new management and investment at Aston Martin Lagonda means for their relationship with the great British brand. More of your tweets, please, on at Specutainment. Thank you very much to uh, Dex and to uh, to Nick for the first hour. Uh, next up, we are going to talk Audi. It's been a while uh, since uh, we had a chat about Audi and Audi Customer Sport Racing on RS1. <laughs> Delighted to say that Chris Renke from Audi Sport Customer Racing uh, joins us here. Uh, Chris, first of all, it's been quite a while since we've had a chance to sit down, mainly because of uh, our schedules being on opposite sides of the world. So there's quite a bit to, to catch up on. I'll give you a nice big open question to start with. Where is, where is Audi Sport Customer Racing at the moment? And, and give us a, a little synopsis of what's happened in the last 8 to 12 months. I think you, you, you start off quite good us two didn't have time for a long time to sit down, uh, but I think Audi Sport customer racing in general didn't have much of a sit down uh, <laughs> lately, um, because uh, yeah, we have now it's a busy time for us to prepare for the season. A lot of customer requests come up. Um, is it for driver lineup for support uh, where our spare trucks will be? Um, you know, uh, short notice purchase of cars and so on. Um, so it's usually the first term is always a kind of uh, busy season for us. On top, we have a new product. I mean, uh, the volume in competition racing uh, stays GT3 on the forefront and then TCR and GT4. But now, obviously, we have the R8 LMS GT2 out there, uh, which we, yeah, at the moment, we ran the first uh, event two weeks ago in the winter series of SRO uh, in customer hand, uh, who won uh, right out. Uh, the first race, so that was a nice confirmation. We had customers testing the car in Europe, in the US, um, and so on. So we are busy to promote that car, this new category, um, to extend also our customer portfolio with this new product. And we'll, we'll pick up on that then, as you mentioned, uh, GT2. Always a balancing act to be done when there's a new category come at, that comes out and you have to decide whether there's a business case for that, clearly. Uh, what were you looking at and what was it that attracted Audi Sport Customer Racing to GT2? I think for us it's always always a different matter that can make a difference. There's no Audi Sport Customer Racing strategy that we fulfill. I mean, we have been very early at the forefront of GT3. It was an early commitment and have grown ever since with the class 
Um, we haven't been the first ones out in TCR, clearly. Uh, we looked for an efficient entry into customer racing, uh, which we found. And uh, we positioned in, in GT4, also GT4 class was in existence for a while before we entered. Um, on the GT2, we believe there are a lot of customers who look for something beyond GT4, but don't want to go into the competition level of GT3. Um, so here it was more kind of a, on a customer request. We believe there is that customer category out there, uh, which we couldn't have a product answer uh, for so far. And therefore, uh, we believe that that will be a growing class. Obviously, Porsche, which is early commitment, uh, proved also through their volume that the demand is there. Uh, for us, there's a tremendous interest. Um, so I look forward that hopefully another manufacturer's another manufacturer commit into the class that we have at least three brands uh, who then also can be you know a more colorful grid uh, in competition racing and in terms of making that decision was that made a little less difficult for you because you'd already had the experience with gt3 and indeed gt4 and of course the base platform is a very good street car being the audi r8 for sure, on the technical side, it was uh, a more foreseeable risk and also more of a, or less of an investment um, because, you know, a lot of parts are similar. Uh, they're all based on the ultra-strong road car, the R8, which is always a privilege to have for us. Um, so now we take the drivetrain fully unrestricted, you know, uh, which for the customer to experience in a, what, 1,300-plus kilogram chassis um, is quite an excitement. But therefore, it was... A lot of variables which were very known for us and therefore for sure it, it was less of a risk less of a need of an investment and a, a clear customer profile which doesn't have an overlap which it's existing ones the other leg of the Sport customer racing competition line if you will is tcr tcr has been tremendously successful globally both in sprint and endurance racing i'm not sure anybody thought that the endurance side of things would take off when that concept was first put forward but it certainly has these cars are, are really competitive what's the situation with audi sport customer racing and, and tcr going forward now well obviously as i said the, the category was in in a, in a good position uh, and therefore we 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 decided to commit to it and we had a tremendous run-up within the first nine months selling more than 100 cars and being in the very first season uh, the manufacturers that entered most cars into competition um, we have seen that in the WTCR it becomes more professional and at the end it's, it's factory racing therefore we decided our core business is customer racing and therefore we reduced to the core for next season where we said uh, if customers want to race WTCR we would support, but other than that, uh, we don't take it as strategic entries anymore. Um, but uh, we want to strengthen our worldwide um, community. I mean, a lot of cars are, are run around the world. And exactly as you say, we see a lot of interest in you know, new endurance race coming up. We had uh, just lately the confirmation here in Australia with the Bathurst 500, I believe it's called, as a kind of special race at the end of the season of the TCR Australia. In addition, to the one-off event uh, as a support race for the Melbourne Grand Prix. So we have two unique events now on TCR, also on this continent. And I think uh, we have the Spa 500, I believe it's also, uh, which was uh, outright successful. So we have a lot of uh, new things coming there, which uh, suit our main intention for customer racing. Uh, and therefore, we are very happy that we made the decision to enter that class.
So from the point of view of anyone who has an uh, RS3 LMS TCR car at the moment and is racing it either in IMSA competition for the Michelin Pilot Challenge or in the Creventic 24 Hours or any of those events that you've talked about, the decision from the from the supported racing side in WTCR doesn't make any difference to them. You continue to support your customers wherever they are around the world. Oh, absolutely. It, it even strengthens it because now the focus is exactly back uh, main to the customer. It should have never been dropped but hey to be honest said if you have another main project running there's always you know a, a multi-focus now it's back to one focus and and if as you say the, the scene maybe develops there is another great advantage especially uh, on the audi cars uh, you can you can uh, build back and forth from sequential to dsg you have certain kits that you can purchase so either if you have had customers who raced your vehicle in, in championship with these with with a sequential gearbox now we have customers who want to go endurance racing and would rather have a DSG car. You don't necessarily have to trade the car. You can, you know, trade the kit. So we have, you know, we're exactly set up for what's happening now. You can, you can redefine your program, uh, whatever your customer demand is. So that's caught us up. Thank you very much for that. That was very succinct and we've, we've got up to date. If I may, I'd like to look into the future a little bit. FIA, or GT3, excuse me, is due to have a new set of regulations in 2022, and all the manufacturers, I'm sure, have been asked for their input. Are we going to see, with the FIA and the ACO having their input into the new regulations, anything, do you believe, that will be substantially different from the, the GT3 as we know it right now? I don't expect, and I thoroughly hope, that we don't have radical changes. Because uh, for us, and I believe for most of the manufacturers involved, it's a heavily successful class, a GT3 class. Therefore, we were quite conservative uh, against the original approach um, to, to, to change the regulations. Now, uh, we committed and, and we entrust that even though there is a new set of regulations out, uh, that when applying those regulations, uh, it won't be much different to the status we have and that we continue really uh, on, on exciting uh, supercar but budget driven GT racing and, and, as, and as far as the uh, regulations go of course GT3 is a global category, it's a global formula uh, and, and that has been that's been part of its success hasn't it Chris? Well absolutely, I mean for us whatever we commit to it always is a global form- formula uh, because we have, the glo- we have the worldwide support structures, we need to raise the volume on all of them. On the other side, we also, as an OEM, have to do a certain volume so that we can run these programs profitable. Uh, and the certain volume, it's easier to reach if you have them in all regions and not just on one continent. So for us, uh, that is uh, absolutely necessary, but it also gives it that uniqueness. Uh, when we are rated you know, in Germany, obviously ADEC GT is, is the main GT championship. On the touring car side, we, we have the DTM, uh, which kind of, in Germany, you know, fight for, for the number one rank. But if you then take the scope on Europe or worldwide, I mean, who is DTM? Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question about DTM uh, towards the end of this interview. Still looking forward a little bit. Um, recently at Daytona, the ACO and the um, IMSA uh, series announced a new quote-unquote common platform for um, prototype endurance racing. Audi have been gone from endurance racing for a little while and we all miss you um, this is a, a real initiative to globalize that formula as well presumably Audi have to keep an eye 
and at least look at that and consider that going forward? For the moment, I don't see that as, as, as an Audi employee. Um, for the moment, I see that as really, we will all remember the day in 10 years when it has been announced, because for me, that changed the scope of endurance racing. So far, it has been the, the future technology, the ultimate technology to be positioned there. And we all are fascinated and dream of the era. Yeah, well, also we as Audi were able uh, to do that. Um, but we have to be realistic. These days, that extra budget isn't available. Uh, and just because we love the era, we cannot hold up to something which is not possible anymore. So for me, it was that we get now the feet off the ground and say, okay, we have to redefine endurance racing at the top category. It is budget-driven as well. We need the worldwide formula exactly for the same reasons that we just discussed uh, for GT or, or, or TCR. Um, and we found a formula where I think with a reasonable budget, you can, ha- you, you, you can fight for the big titles uh, in endurance racing. Um, and I think a lot of brands um, will commit to it. And therefore, we have a great variety and therefore a, a great future. Uh, and for me, that is an era to come. Um, so we had the technology era. Now we have, let's say, you know, the, the, the rational era. And I'm, I'm sure that in nine years, ten years' time, we come back to some unique new technology, and then we go back to a technology era. Is there an opportunity for building customer cars, though, for somebody, even if, if not you? Do you think that even with this new reduced investment requirement, um, could there be a, an opportunity, a business case, as we talked about before, for a manufacturer, an OEM, to build customer cars, I, I think, because I'm old, I think back to, you know, um, 917s and 956s and 962s and Porsche dominated in those eras because not necessarily with works cars but with customer cars. For sure. I mean, every manufacturer, I think, at the moment looks into that. Is, is there such possibility to even with a less investment uh, than it asks for at the moment? You could do it because you have that uh, possibility to refinance over customer cars. Um, yeah, for me, it doesn't have a super high priority because we have a quite wide portfolio. This would be a step to the side. It would, it would be a step where Audi has a different DNA. When we go to Le Mans, we want to position new technology that, that will make a change for, for road car technology for the future. So it will also be you know, a step away from our DNA. We have done rally cars in the past and, and you know, put, put the Quattro Drive in action then we said, no, we, we put the Quattro Drive on the road with the touring car era. Um, then we went with a direct injection, injection to Le Mans, with a diesel to Le Mans, with a hybrid. It was always technology topics. Um, so for me, we are very well positioned at the moment in customer racing to, to uh, fulfill the demand for experiential um, activities. Uh, we have a very good portfolio at factory racing with the future technology of electric drivetrains and Formula E and a direct battle with a with main competitor, BMW and DTM. So, you know, it all has a, has a clear scope and, and we are well positioned. Um, so at the moment, uh, I don't foresee, but I don't want to outcount it because if there is a possibility to somehow integrate it into customer racing, I mean, the experiential side, um, to, to, to go with an Audi uh, to Le Mans is for sure second to none. Of course. Le Mans on the high and the high banks of Daytona with the same car. It's mouthwatering, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, let's finish with DTM. You mentioned DTM head to head with BMW. We had the somewhat of a blow with our motorsport um, pulling out after just one year. What is the future uh, from your point of view 
for DTM. Obviously now four-cylinder cars, again an element of globalisation with rules and regulations that are close enough to have cross-competition with the Japanese series. Exactly, you say that. It was always a desire to, to, to have also there um, a multi-continental possibility with Japan. Uh, we are on a very good way. Um, the four-cylinder engine in, in the original days, my born as a, as a what was a world world uh, motorsport engine. Um, so, so the idea is there also to to, to build uh, a, a platform car. Uh, for the moment, for sure, uh, in Germany, it, it's the main motorsport category. Um, it, 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 it was on its high uh, when all three premium manufacturers, um, including Mercedes and BMW besides Audi, were involved. Now, two are left. The third one, which was an exclusive edition, um, Aston Martin just announced the leave. So at the moment, for sure, uh, a lot of creativity, a lot of um, heart is needed, a lot of passion um, to, to find a solution to... to Presents the fans uh, a good grit at the first race, but the people who are direct involved, working hard on it, um, believe in it, uh, and therefore we should that they find a solution. Let's come back to where we are having this interview now. Bathurst, the Little Molly Bathurst 12 Hours, a, a, a race that Audi and Audi Sport Customer Racing have taken to their hearts right from the very beginning of the GT3 era and I know it's a, a, a real favourite of yours if you're allowed to have favourites um, what, what is it about this race and this circuit that means so much to actually all of the manufacturers let's be honest well I think uh, whatever you name uh, you, you, you can tick the box here it's, it's a track itself uh, if, if we as Germans talk proudly about the unique Nürburgring uh, when you look at, at iconic tracks around the world, uh, one of the top runners on your list has to be Bathurst, uh, with the setup uh, the track has, uh, with, with the long straights and the top speeds, but also obviously up and down the hill is very unique. You have you have a wide fan base, which is really passionate fans. You know they they come here for for the sake of motorsport. Um, you have a great variety. I believe eleven GT3 manufacturers are here this weekend. Um, so uh, it's fascinating variety, therefore uh, a tremendous competition. Um, we, we only come with international circuit uh, once a year to Australia, so that's what makes it unique. Um, we have, as a market, uh, a very performance car oriented market. Uh, so for Audi Sport as a brand, it's important. Uh, and obviously we have always good support and activation through that very reason. So there are a lot of good reasons. And if you, you know, bring all the, all the runner-ups onto one track, uh, it is a race. Eh? Now, just in case I don't get to see you for the same amount of time that we haven't taught this time, you've got to give me some pointers for the future. What are we going to expect to see in the next 12, 18 months and even beyond that as far as customer racing is concerned? Well, we work hard all the time on new concepts, new ideas, try to figure out new formulas, evaluate possibilities. Where is a customer base uh, that we haven't reached out to yet? Uh, and uh, I think you can be sure that we won't disappoint. Oh, I'm going to hold you to that. Chris Renke from Audi Sport Customer Racing. Always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. That was recorded at... At Bathurst, of course, last weekend and the classic cars going round in the background. Very interesting to hear what Chris was saying about trying to find a business model before they would get involved with Hypercar or LMD. It seems like Audi aren't coming back to the top of 
Motorsport, Endurance Motorsport, uh, to quickly listen to Midweek Motorsports Series 15, Episode 5. Philip Kerford just tweeted in, uh, Audi probably too invested in Extreme E and Formula E and probably still not recovered from Dieselgate. I'm not sure that's true, uh, to be honest, but we'll discuss that in future programmes. More Bathurst content to come with the winning Bentley uh, drivers and a look back at what happened in the race. But we mentioned DTM there and our motorsport. And I was fortunate enough to get some time with Dr. Florian Kamelger, the man at the head of our motorsport, again at Bathurst. And uh, that was one of the things that I brought up with him in this interview. But I started talking to him about Bathurst and about the topsy-turvy rollercoaster ride that our motorsport had had to that time in the week. Well, this uh, I'm obviously lost in translation in English sometimes, but there is a there, you could call it bittersweet, you could call it a roller coaster. Uh, we obviously, although losing the the, seven, the 62 car, we we kind of very very happy that Marvin is all right and that uh, the car, although it flipped, it didn't it didn't clip over the wall and, and didn't hit anything else or anybody else. And, uh, and so a, a big big thank you to, to AMR to, to put such a strong car together and in the basically same minute or not even but maybe five six minutes after that we we, uh, we got uh, we got the other car into into the super super pole mode and looking forward to that tonight and uh, yeah yeah a bit of sweet would think uh, catch it the best Sometimes I never know which way to take motorsport because it's uh, such high highs and such low lows and you've experienced them both already uh, today in such a short space of time. If we look outside of this weekend and into the wider world of motorsport, um, last week at Daytona we were there covering that race, the ACO and the IMSA Championship uh, proposing new regulations for a common category for the top class of prototype motor racing you guys obviously exceptionally close with Aston Martin and the Valkyrie program first of all your thoughts about the announcement and does that affect will it affect the Valkyrie hypercar program I think to, to get you to your first question about the announcement I think from a from a global motorsport perspective this is in my eyes the, 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 the right road route to go it may not be the the end of the road, but it it, it is the right route to go. I think uh, for teams all around the world, for teams like us, it is important to be able to scale costs to to, to run different series with ideally the same car. Um, so I think I think it was quite a good job to to get where they where they where they then uh, were with the announcement and. Uh, from a from a hypercar perspective, um, I can only answer uh, I can only answer questions regarding motor, our motorsport. Obviously, can't answer anything for Aston Martin. Uh, I think uh, I think the hypercar project still is a, an exceptionally interesting one because uh, not only because Aston Martin confirmed it or, 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 or uh, yeah, stick to it, but also because it's a it's a huge opportunity for automotive industry to, to present their hypercars in a uh, in a race which many many out there would consider to be the biggest race in the world. Mm-hmm. Having said that, you, you, got, you mean Le Mans by that, of course. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Obviously, with mean, due respect to our American friends, but yes, we understand yeah, yes. that. I, I do. I do mean Le Mans. Yes, um, 
is it cost-wise uh, 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 an achievable goal? Yes, it is. But it still needs some uh, investigation around that, obviously. And uh, I always say that I want to I wanna see our motorsport running in Le Mans. And I still stick to that and uh, we see what happens. Now, in, in terms of your other collaborations with Aston Martin, DTM didn't go the way you wanted to. I know from reading what you've said in the press, you feel there's a little unfinished business there. What's the situation with that at the moment as we move closer to the new season? We, we, we hear that you won't be involved this year in the DTM. No, we, we, announced, uh, we announced our non-involvement in DTM last week. Uh, there's many reasons which I which I laid out in in I think in the press release and the media calls uh, for a small team and a small manufacturer like our motorsport and 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 Aston Martin. It is DTM is a is a series which is um, from an investor's point of view difficult. This is certainly another case for for the big ones out in BMW, um, but that that uh, considering that uh, rethinking our motorsport strategy for the ne- next couple of years uh, made us make the, the the difficult decision. It was a difficult decision to step back uh, from from DTM. And how, if at all? Does the recent announcement from Aston Martin Racing about the new investor, um, Lawrence Stroll, coming in, buying a significant uh, part of the, the company up of Aston Martin Lagonda, that is, the car company, let's not forget. How does that affect your close relationship with everybody back at Gaiden and with the brand? I think it, uh, our relationship to Aston Martin has been a, a very, very tight one for many years and it won't... Uh, uh, not anticipating to, to that to change. Uh, there is always opportunities, which I see. Th- I see this one as an opportunity as well, and that's life of entrepreneurs. And, and does it excite you that Racing Point will become Aston Martin Racing Point? Is, is Formula One something that you guys might aspire to in the future? You've mentioned going to Le Mans uh, has been been one of your aspirations for our motorsport. Look, never say no. Uh, we are obviously close to the company, which closes us uh, close to to Formula One as well. And uh, I think, from my personal perspective, I have to say, I think I think it's a good move. I think it's a really good move to have a to have an Aston Martin as a works team in in Formula One. A uh, huge challenge, obviously, but uh, Formula One, I think, is always a challenge and. Uh, I'm looking forward to see more. And coming back to GT3, you talked about the positivity of a global formula at the top of of sports car racing. And of course, GT3 already has that. It is a a global formula. Some new regulations due in just over a year's time. Um, Presumably, you hope that not very much changes because you're able to compete here in Australia, around the world in the ICGT, and that makes the business proposition far more attractive presumably I think you I think you're right I think you're right I think uh, GT3 at the moment is is, uh, is a big thing uh, is a place to be uh, that's what we see out there is, is the best example 
what we see in races like Spa 24 is the best example. Um, uh, Intercontinental GT is certainly something which is which is getting more and more appealing. So I think uh, I think all of that is is exceptionally interesting and and from a commercial perspective. Uh, uh, well scalable and, and well understandable and, and playable so uh, yeah we, we, we are happy to be here Now you mentioned the entrepreneurial spirit you've built up a very very good reputation in motorsport for everything that you do once we see that our motorsport logo and see your name on an entry list we know that it's been taken very very seriously indeed where do you see the business of our motorsport in let's say five years or 10 years time is it possible to in the fast moving pun intended world of motorsport is it is it possible to have medium and long term plans in this side of the sport I think it is I think uh, uh, not many out there as 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 far as it is uh, considering now know that our motorsport is a part of a group which we call the R universe uh, where other R brands like an R experience brand which cares about the customer and our service brand, which is going to be a, 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 a special way of servicing automotive clients, and an our reforged brand, which will do special cars and race cars, is, is part of this group. And uh, with such an idea, such a vision behind, you, you, can, you can play long term, I think. And what you have to do to play long term as well is you have to stay alert, innovative, open for different things. We all know what happens in the motorsport field in regards to electric and everything around there. Uh, again, it's a never say no, and it's a it's a seeing the opportunities in 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 different scenarios. And being involved with Aston Martin, you're wearing the Aston Martin wings on your your shirt. There, it's one of the it is the coolest brand in the world. It has been for so many years voted over and over again by people far more influential than, than I am. Do you see Aston Martin as part of that medium and long-term future for our motorsport? I think so. I think so. I mean, uh, who knows us better knows that we, we've been extremely loyal since the beginning of, of a little dealership, which we started in 2010 to the brand, and we love the brand. It's To us, it's, uh, it's emotion, passion, vision, and uh, it, it all plays into that. Um, obviously, as you say, over over the course of ten years, many many things can happen, and and uh, Aston Martin's racing strategy might be adjusted or changed. Or I mean, I can't anticipate that really. But I'm I stay alert, I stay loyal to the brand, and uh, we we see where it gets us. You've achieved an extraordinary amount in the last decade, which is an extremely short time in motorsport. Here's to the next ten years and beyond, Dr. Camelgate. Thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So I thought that was quite interesting, Tim, to be honest, particularly what he said about the the hypercar and how they're looking at that. Uh, obviously not happy to be out of, of, of DTM, but it would appear that they uh, are still looking to work with Aston Martin. It is quite extraordinary what they've done in, in just a couple of decades, isn't it, in terms of how they've built that business up to be not only a powerhouse in selling cars but also be a, a, a racing uh, phenomenon as well there's this massive uh, massive banbury connection though isn't there because um, you look at the links of uh, them and aston martin but also um 
Arden, the uh, team run uh, or set up initially by Christian Horner, which, when it was first formed, was right next door to Aston Martin. That also has yeah. links with our motorsport as well. So, all very, all very uh, connected, and Banbury is the, is the central focus. Uh, and we wait to see what happens in terms of where their priority will lie with things like going back to Le Mans. As I say, I thought it was interesting his comments about hypercar and you know whether going forward with a uh, LMDH was more in keeping with what they wanted to do. And it's this sort of a customer operation from Aston Martin as they race, but this sort of a bit more as well. And the kind of, I don't know how to categorize them. If I'm honest, it was very nice of, of Dr. Camelgate to give me uh, some time. I, I think he was um, not expecting to be interviewed at the uh, at the meet the team. All the drivers were there as well. I had a good chat with Scott Dixon and one or two other faces that we've known for a while. Uh, Dr. Camelgate was sitting uh, in the corner just having a, a chat uh, with uh, some of his staff and uh, really wasn't expecting to be interviewed. Um, however, we'll keep an eye on our motorsport and what's going on and how that relationship uh, evolves. Um, I, I had, I've got to say, I, I had forgotten about the, the Arden connection, but that brings into relief the uh, the Red Bull connection with the Valkyrie as well, of course, doesn't it? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, shall we move on? You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, we're on Series 15. This is episode number five. And I'm in Australia and Tim isn't. Now, that's how they, basically this works. As we uh, head into the last half an hour of the programme, a little bit uh, One day more I'm going to be in a place and you're not. And well, you were that There's going to be a race on. Well, you were that. You were that. There wasn't a race on, but you were that time when you had Trey Lady there, didn't you? It yes, was, that's true. Yes, and actually, there, when I was in, oh no, the week that I went to Portland, you didn't talk to me. That's right. Mm. Um, oh, that's was, right. There yes. was definitely a race on. Uh, shall we stick with? Uh, I mean, that was recorded obviously at Bathurst. We talked about their nightmare of destroying one car and uh, then getting one car into the Pirelli. Uh, Top 10 shooter. Shall we steer on the Bathurst theme? Yes. Um, We haven't really talked about the race yet. Well, we'll do that in a minute. But before we do, let's say from the winners, I spoke to all three drivers of the Bentley number seven just after the race finish. Uh, Starting with Gilles Gounon, he brought the car home after having a really hard fight with the AMG driven by Rafa Marchiello. Yeah, first of all, yeah, when I exit the the pit stop and uh, I knew that we were P2, also they had a different strategy, but I was catching, catching, and at one point I couldn't pass Marcello. So I thought that if they're going to triple steam the tyres, it's going to be really hard to pass them. And I was talking to the team to 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 know what we're going to do on the, the tyre situation. I think I still had five or six laps to go in my stint. And suddenly, bah, big noise in the straight, convert straight at 275. So really big moment. I think my heart rate went really high more than in the training camp but <laughs> um, obviously I think it's a bit of luck also because if I had that, that puncture in first corner uh, the race was over Were so you going to change the tyres at the next stop or were you going to double stint? So we were waiting on what they were doing but normally we were doing a double stint on those tyres so um, obviously it makes us to, to do a complete new tyres change so I had to push really hard on my second stint to try to make a gap to Marcello and then they had a puncture another one 
So uh, I had suddenly a 55 second gap. So it was really, really tense for me because then you are listening to every noise in the car and normally you don't do. And there is always noise in those cars. So you start freaking out. But uh, yeah, and the weather. It, it looked like it was the end of the world out there. It looked bad for us here. It must have looked terrible for you driving behind the wheel. Yeah, it was really terrible. And uh, as we always say on the media, Bentley say, bring the thunder. And I was like, come on, not this time, <laughs> please. It's nice for social media, but not on track. So, yeah, I was going to Conrad straight and suddenly I saw two or three inches. Blah, blah, and I'm like, no way. And I asked on the radio, how long to go? 16 minutes. Ah. Those, min- those 16 minutes were really, really long. And then I, at the end, I think my four last lap, I was just trying to avoid everything, single piece of sand or anything on the track to don't get a puncture. And that was it. Amazing for us. Amazing result for, for our car, Car7. My teammate did a fantastic job, the team also. So it's really, really, really amazing. Maxime, you were sitting watching at the end. I don't know what's worth being in the car and managing it or, or watching what's going on. There was a, what looked to be a tremendous team spirit with the guys from the 8 car as well. We're all there trying to calm you guys down. To be honest, I wasn't watching. <laughs> the last hour, I decided to go in the motorhome and, and put a movie on. So, uh, What was the movie? That just could be a quiz question. Uh, nothing special. I was just, uh, you know, just... <laughs> just something else? Yeah, something else. So, uh, And then five minutes before the end, Jordan sent me a text to say, OK, five minutes left. So uh, I came to the box. Uh, still stressed, but my heart rate were like at 1.30 the whole time, the last hour. What, when you were sitting doing nothing? No, I was just sitting doing nothing, laying in the motorhome and trying to think about something else. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we were so close uh, last year already to, to win this race. So, uh, I mean, we, we deserved it and we went to get it. We fought for it and... Uh, I'm over the moon right now. But you were there right from the start, and there was no luck involved in this. You've had bad, the bad luck you've had in the past, but you didn't need good luck here. You had pace, all three of you. Your stint averages were almost identical. Everybody chipped in, and the team did their job because tactically you were brilliant. Took the brake change when the safety car came out, and that all played to the end result. Yeah, the the team did an amazing job. Uh, we mustn't forget that they had a difficult beginning of week uh, with an uh, engine change on our car, and then uh, the issue they had on car on car eight. So uh, they didn't really sleep much. So I think they deserve this win as much as we do. Uh, and then for the pace, I mean, I had no doubts about my teammates. You know, we we were we were fast when we needed to be fast, and we were clever when we needed to be clever uh, just look at the car there's not one scratch not on the scratch. car and that's how you win races I've never seen a Bentley that clean halfway through the race never mind at the end of the race here congratulations and let it sink in enjoy the moment Jordan man Jordan Pepper good heavens above start of that race was something else wasn't it yeah when it, we got a good jump to be honest I was watching Matty Camel I was like when he goes I'm going no matter what and I, I got the run on uh, Marco uh, through the middle of him and Rick Kelly that was my t- goal to clear the, the row ahead of me settled into a good rhythm scrapped it out as hard as I could with, with Maxi Goertz uh, respect to him we, we left each other just enough room for yeah, both good. of us to stay on track like Max said we didn't put a scratch on the car which was vital because at the end we had the weapon to to, to fight for the win we were one of the only cars to take a brake change at the right time everyone's wondering 
if we turn it up or not. But to be honest, I think that's a vital part in this race. You saw it last year with, with Campbell winning because of a brake change, and it happened with us this year. And yeah, um, I think it's one of those races where we saw it from the beginning of the weekend. The amount of crashes is signed to how hard everyone's pushing. And respect to every driver in this field to to t- tame the mountain is something special. Uh, condolences to those who, who had their offs, but I'm sure they'll be back fighting next year. But the pace of the race was relentless. Even when you were out the car, I could see you watching the timing and, and watching the coverage. There was no quiet parts of the race. All right, the, not everybody was battling wheel to wheel all the time, but people were trading tenths and halves of tenths every lap right the way through the race. Yeah, there was there was a moment in my second stint, obviously, I came out, I had, I had Raffaele behind me, and he was absolutely hounding me. I was giving it 110%. The team said, go maximum, we have to keep him behind. I did exactly that. Um, and that just set the rhythm of the race, to be honest. It was it was flat out from the word go to the end. We set the, the overall like length of lap record here. Obviously, the track's a bit slower than previous years with the old surface, but that doesn't mean the boys aren't pushing and you're scraping wing mirrors using every inch of the track puffing up dirt where you can and it's 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 unreal to see how hard everyone's pushing and that that was just to get the win you had to go 110 percent when you had to i know in motor racing that you know we we sometimes say oh they owed a bit of luck maybe the track owes them something it doesn't work like that but having had the bad luck and you knowing the bad luck that Bentley's had here in the past when they've been in excellent positions to bring the new car to come here to have the start of the week that you guys had and then to take home the victory in the manner in which you did it does it make it even more sweet yeah definitely it's it's as sweet as can be but I think there's one thing I don't believe in and that's luck I think you create your own luck to say that um and we, we've learnt our lessons, you know. I've only been here last year, and this was my second time round. And we spoke like back, uh, I think it was three weeks ago, mm. and and I said it's for sure going to be a lot easier coming here. It wasn't because of like I mentioned the, the the level that everyone was pushing at. But I think the the lessons were learnt by the team, whole of Bentley, whole of M Sport, and I think Malcolm Wilson runs runs a good uh, show back home, and he, his team behind him is combined with the the boys at Bentley. I think this is for them, and started obviously with Brian Gush uh, initiating the program, the GD3 program. He's a fellow South African. He he's the one who gave me my chance along with Malcolm, and it's something special to to give them this payback. And I I got a nice message from from Brian as well, and it, it's really special to be a South African to win for a brand which is almost like my home now and yeah just loving it and I'm going to remember it for years to come Jordan Pepper Bentley boy and Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours winner has a nice ring to it that sounds special doesn't it hopefully I can make a two time winner next year (laughs) so a second first time winner in two years Bentley finally conquer the mountain and pretty much the best one I've ever seen from a Bentley to be honest to Tim um, obviously Ollie Jarvis's car and in fact Ollie Jarvis had the bulk of the bad luck uh, both before the race and during it which was must have been pretty annoying for them because they'd fought their way up from the back and actually led the race at one time I like the comment that Maxime Sule made there about we were fast when we needed to be fast we were clever when we needed to be clever they had planned a brake change for both of their Bentley Continentals GTs and 
they waited they knew they had a long window to do that and with all the green flag running it looked like they might have to do it under green which is of course what cost the time for the defending champions earl bamba motorsport soon as they got a green uh, sorry a safety car in the in the window where they could change the brakes they popped in and in fact changed both uh, of the brakes on uh, all of the brakes on both cars so that kind of worked the car was quick they drove well there was not a mark on that number 8 car and I think they did a pretty good job. Malcolm Wilson, I've seen Malcolm Wilson at races for a long time. They really, really wanted to win that race. And he was absolutely delighted. Absolutely delighted. A um, couple of things that happened afterwards. Obviously, uh, Marcello's car got a penalty that elevated the... That was for the last pit stop where... Uh, officials claim they didn't turn off the engine, although the drivers say they did. And that's a couple of years in a row that uh, that driver, driver squad have got penalties that they weren't too happy about. Dropped them off the podium. That pushed the McLaren up into second place. That car was a rocket ship all day. It pushed the Triple Eight AMG up to third, which, of course, uh, included uh, Shane Van Gisbergen. So that battle between... The two Antipodean stars that we'd been getting excited about did actually end up in one of them being on a podium. Bad luck to Matty Campbell, who finished fourth. Uh, and there was also a, a long uh, time penalty as well, which affected the uh, Pro-Am category, which again benefited a McLaren. That was the 59 car, and uh, they uh, ended up further up the field than they expected, but that was run by, won by the local team, Grove Racing, in their Porsche. They stepped up from a class that didn't run this year, the 911 uh, GT Cup class. Uh, so it was a pretty good result all round, great race. From what I've seen, the numbers were good. We had a huge audience. Everybody's happy. Just a couple of things to come out from the back of it, Tim. Uh, KCMG, who were running the Nissans, Sorry, I can say Nissans now, can't I? Uh, Running the Nissans, uh, KCMG lost one of their cars in free practice one in that destructive first day of running on the mountain for the 12-hour cars. Uh, They are shifting their focus to Porsche machinery for the Nürburgring 24. Um, The Nissan program was sort of petering out. They've been running them for the last couple of years uh, and they've got a couple of Porsches now which seems to be a common theme so they're going to do the Nürburgring 24 and also going back to the total 24 hours of Spa as well and uh, Porsche it's not all just of- the 24 they're doing at the Nürburgring they're doing the uh, the NLS as well which is the, what we now call the VLN yes that's right um, and whilst we're talking about that I did notice that, who was it? It was Falcon, isn't it? It's the Falcon Tires car. They've dropped their BMW M6 for another Porsche. So all of a sudden, and when you consider, Tim, that, sorry, before I finish, I'll go on to that in a minute. Before I finish about Bathurst, thank you to everybody at Bathurst. It was a brilliant event. It was one of my favourite events of the year, if not my very favourite event of the year. And I thought this year was splendid. Attendance was up just a little bit, only a couple of thousand. But given the heat, I thought that was extraordinary. And, of course, all of the archive, including uh, our 
repeat visit to the National Motorsport Museum with Brad Owen. Uh, it's all on the archive. Um, just going back to everybody swapping to Porsches before we finish, and I know you're watching the time very carefully, is um, when you think how late Porsche were with a genuine GT3 product and, and how they lost customers to people like particularly Audi and Audi were very aggressive. Um, Romelu Liebchen, who at the time was running the Audi Sport customer racing. I mean, the first gen of the R8, I think they built nearly 150 of those cars and they sold pretty much 135, 137. The others were used in a one make series in Asia, if memory serves. And, they were in there. They were in quickly. Porsche didn't have a product and sort of lost ground. But Porsche have been developing that GT3 um, product all over the world. And now it seems to be, once again, that the pendulum and how we always talk about the cyclical nature of our sport, the pendulum is swinging back to Weissach and the Porsche Motorsport, KCMG and Falcon going all Porsche uh, and ditching their other manufacturer. All right, it was a split split uh, effort in the case of 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 of, uh, of Falcon. Really interesting, particularly given, and this is something we'll need, I think, probably to speak to Johannes Guaglica about, given that Porsche almost was boycotting the um, Nürburgring 24 with factory supported teams. Uh, recently because they thought the BOP was unfair on them. So that's going to be a story to follow, particularly with so many people picking up those new cars. Right, what else have you got? Uh, one thing that I did notice about Bathurst uh, mm. was uh, after uh, a few races, not just 12 hours, but also six hours, where we haven't had a lot of wildlife, we saw a lot of kangaroos on the track this year. Yes, um, some in the early running that uh, didn't really affect anything. They waited till after the the classic cars had been out. Sensible, those kangaroos. Classic cars don't have good brakes. So they were putting themselves in jeopardy. They knew they were fine with the highly tuned racing uh, retardation that GT3s uh, possess nowadays. Um, that caused a red flag and a bit of consternation. The international photographers loved it, of course. And... There were some great images. We did get uh, a bit of contact behind a safety car, interestingly. Um, the BMW, the Valkenhorst car, hit uh, a kangaroo and did some damage to the car. The roo hopped off, uh, as far as we know. And uh, it was low-speed contact, but it bent the front end of the BMW, which caused them problems. They had to change a bonnet, they messed up with the tape, and then it just basically got worse from them and they decided there was no point in even attempting to get to the end but yes you're right and the locals telling me that because some of the area around Bathurst had been um, watered they had special dispensation to water some areas around Bathurst um, for I believe aesthetic and also for um, agricultural reasons the rows had come in particularly because there was something to eat for them. Ground was very hard. It was very dusty everywhere else. And that's why there were more skippies, as our Australian colleagues call them, and they really do, uh, than we have seen in previous years. Didn't overly uh, 
affect the race, but did um, push that first free practice session back. Oh, did affect Katzberg and Mostert. Well, yes, indeed, as I said, yes. Um, fortunately, nothing worse than um, a bump behind the safety car at 60 k's or whatever it was. Could have been a lot worse. Could have been an awful lot worse. Uh, and the other talking point, of course, uh, was all actually, the actually, their, their car wasn't um, uh, particularly on the pace uh, even before the incident, was it? Well, no, and that uh, and that was a car that wasn't supposed to be there. Remember, the two cars that Valkenhorst was supposed to run were forgotten about and left on a dockside in South Africa after the Kyle Army race at the end of last year. And therefore, they were put on a ship too late and they had a delivery date of uh, the 3rd of February, which was the day after the race was completed. So BMW and Valkenhorst had to uh, pull resources, they found another car and some parts. They flew it in at horrendous cost, well in six figures of uh, of euros. Um well into six figures of euros to get that car and a, a limited amount of parts there not the way they wanted to start their week and ultimately it wasn't the way they wanted to finish their week either but i do wonder if not having their two cars and their full set of kit actually was as big a problem as anything else that happened uh moving away from bathurst uh but talking about someone who's won at bathurst in the past scott mclaughlin Scotty is confirmed that he will race in IndyCar this year. Yeah, that was a really good. Uh, that's a really good move for him. He did some testing, didn't he? We reported on that Tested at the end of Sebring last year. Yeah, mm. um, uh, just last month, wasn't it? Um, he will be driving the number two uh, Penske Chevrolet alongside uh, Joseph Newgarten. Uh, he's not going to do the full season of course uh, he's far too busy for that but he will be doing the uh, indianapolis grand prix which is the one at the start of may and yeah it's on the course he's going to do one other race as well i can't see which one it is it's a big step for him in several ways and it's it's really good for motorsport down here again to have one of their supercar stars we see it about the supercar stars and they are uber mega stars here um they're in every supermarket they're on consumer goods etc etc and it's really good for them to be seen and be able we know they're good drivers we know that those supercars all right they don't race anywhere else so there's a there's no point of comparison so that means the supercar drivers have got to get into something else like gt3 cars or gt le mans cars or go racing in indy and when they do they acquit themselves incredibly well because they're very good drivers. And Scott McLaughlin doing that is another example of how good and how competitive the supercar drivers are. I said during the race, the Liquid Molly Bath is 12 hours. I thought, and I continue to think, a bit like when we had um, Kyle Busch, the reigning NASCAR champion, he'd at the Rolex 24, anybody who jumps into another form of motorsport is putting their reputation on the line, and I think that's really, really brave. The supercar guys love doing the GT3s. They have to unlearn the mountain the way they're used to driving it and relearn it. Scotty has got an opportunity here. Scott McLaughlin has got an opportunity here to, um, with Penske, which, of course, he already has a relationship, with which he already has a relationship, um, for that team 
to broaden his horizons. It won't be easy, but he will. I am sure he will be successful, and this could be the portent of something incredible for him. But let's be honest, Tim. You know what supercars are like down here. Um, it's it's a good earning gig if you're with a team, a big team like Penske, and he'll have to be very good at Indy to want to make him want to to make the switch into something that is uh, less comfortable and uh, potentially has a little uh, less job security going forward. Penske cars have won five of the last six races on the Grand Prix circuit as Indy, though, so uh, he's uh, definitely in the best car. I would say that he has as good a chance as anybody uh, would have jumping into that for the first time and it's not as if he's just going to turn up on the Thursday he's already done some testing he'll be doing some more yes, it's with people he's going to, to do some testing isn't he next month yeah and key to this as well it's with a, a team a team owner and an organisation with which he's already familiar he knows how those guys work because he's worked with them in the past and I think that will be very important as he gets up to speed uh, one more story uh, for tonight, uh, and you'll be shocked as I've left this to the end. <laughs> okay. Because it's calendar news. Oh, you do like a bit of calendar news, don't you? But equally, this is calendar news from a series that no one cares about. Oh, dear. Uh, it's WTCR. Does the, do you know what? I, I honestly, I was about to say, does that still exist? They're still trying to tear themselves apart. What's happening? So WTCR is due to uh, start in Marrakesh. Uh, that's it's been been its traditional Tradition. season start for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, they've noticed that uh, Mehdi Benani, Morocco's uh, number one touring car driver and a massive draw in Morocco, uh, doesn't have a seat in the championship. Right. Uh, so they're concerned that without him, no one's going to go and watch their street race. Right. It's crazy to get the past that. So the season will now start at the Hungaro Ring instead. And uh, to replace uh, Marrakesh in, in order to bring uh, the number of uh, rounds back up, uh, they're going to go to the Salzburg Ring. They've been there before, haven't they, Salzburg yes. Ring? Yes. Um, and that means uh, that because Salzburg uh, is taking place in July... Uh, they've had to delay um, the race at Ningbo by a fortnight. Where's Ningbo? Ningbo is in China. Well, uh, that surely must be under under threat given the well, it, current... It, it, it's now scheduled for September the 18th, so I suspect it won't right, be okay. under threat anymore. Um, right, not, okay. not like the races we talked about in the first hour. Um, no, indeed. But yes, they've had to put it back from September the 6th to September the uh, 20th uh, so that they can actually get the cars to China after racing at the Salzburg Ring at the end of July. Mm. And that must be about all we've got time for, Tim. Just uh, a quick reminder, we'll be back next week. Don't forget, everything that we've done this year so far is available on www.radio-show.co.uk. Something more approaching normality is far as this show ever gets uh, to being close to normality next week from Will you be eight back o'clock in Thrapston? Uh, i i hope so Excellent. i hope so and tomorrow um, night at eight we have what john tomorrow night at eight uh, then we 
must have Being the Torah radio show. show. It is. Yes. Yes. So the boys are back to talk about all of the latest in the e-sports world and uh, the world of motorsport gaming. So make sure you tune in to that from 8 o'clock. Meantime, there's no time to explain because the Lama is checking in online. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.